The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports, the where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Good morning, wherever you are. Thank you for joining us. We know you can tune in to anyone you choose to, but thank you for selecting Voice America. I am Nick Ferguson, and this is another super loaded edition of Secondary Perspective. I am joined always by my co-host at Mile High, Mario. Mario, thank you. Uh, Here's the funny thing, Mario. Now, I recently took a trip out to Denver, and, and you have long on the program talked about the fact of when are you coming back out to Denver and when are you going to see me? Now, I came back and I've been back twice and I haven't seen Mario Vitanzi at all. He put a David Blaine on me. What's uh, going uh, on? Uh, no, no, because the first time, okay, the uh, first time, you know, we had some stuff come up. It just, I wanted to see you and then it didn't work out. But then this last time that you were out here, I'm trying to get a hold of you. I'm trying to make this work. You know that I have my show and I'm trying to, you know, work around your schedule, but it still couldn't happen. So first time was my high Mario's fault. Second time was Hollywood Nick Ferguson's fault. Hollywood Nick Ferguson, if, if I recall exactly. Hollywood. When I first got in, I said, Mario, uh, the good friend Jeff Hauser picked me up. Let's go grab a bite to eat at. Snooze restaurant, a great restaurant if you're in Denver, Colorado. And I, had just, and I had just eaten. So I told you, keep me posted on what you're doing, and then we'll meet up. And then I didn't hear from you again. Well, I, I did call you because I said the pipeline would go through Jeff because I left my phone on the shuttle at LAX airport. So he was the pipeline through communication to me. But that never happened. That never happened. I just never happened. I don't, I don't know uh, what's going on. But uh, on today's show, we're going to be joined by Johnny Hart, uh, ESPN Denver, and talk a little about the Denver Broncos and what seeming to be a collapse for them after such a hot, uh, hot start. Also, we're going to see if we can get Ryan McNeil uh, several years in the NFL. Talk to him about the Florida State-UM rivalry that took place last week. Big game, Florida State came back. Uh, also, what is... How is he looking at this college football playoffs and should an Alabama have jumped over maybe an Oregon who was idle and an undefeated Florida State team? So I jump into that uh, right now while we wait to try to get uh, Ryan on the team uh, on the phone. Mario, when you look back at the Florida State-Miami game 
And you, you have a lot of pundits talking about this in this college football playoffs. When you have this 12-person committee that sits around, they, they look at stats, and the criteria is strength of schedule, uh, head-to-head, uh, how many points that the opponent or you've scored versus your opponent. But when you look at the fact that Alabama struggled, and, you, when, and when I do this, I'm going to bring up their schedule. So they started off with West Virginia, Florida Atlantic, Southern Miss, and now this week they're scheduled to play Western Carolina with another team I fig- figure to be an inferior talent to that of Alabama. And, and they struggled against Mississippi State, even though they actually won the game 25-20. But I have to ask you, is that enough to put a one-loss Alabama over Oregon and even an undefeated Florida State? You know, there was a lot of uh, outrage when the rankings came out, Nick, and deservedly so. I mean, you're talking about a Florida State Seminoles team that was perfect last year. They won the national championship. They come back. They, you know, their quarterback is still intact. A lot of their team returns. So what in the world do they have to do? I mean, everyone wants to talk about strength of schedule, Nick, but you know what? If if any division, if it was easy to go undefeated in any one division, then it would happen a hell of a lot more often. You know, that's why I think not that Marshall obviously deserves to be in the top four, but they should be getting a little bit more notoriety. And again, I know the strength of schedule is going to get brought up, but it's any given Sunday or any given Saturday, whatever days they play on. So for Florida State to be number three, despite the fact that they are undefeated, that they won the national championship last year, I mean, it's baffling to me, Nick, and it's very obvious that there is an SEC bias because there's still two SEC teams in this top four, despite the fact that Ohio State has been playing extremely well. They lost Virginia Tech at home earlier in the season, but since then have been one of the best teams in college football. You look at a TCU team who, you know, came here from the Mountain West Conference and is not only competing in a very good Big 12 Conference, but they are rolling guys out there, and their only loss was a three-point loss that came to Baylor, who was a top-10 team. So you want to talk about these one-loss teams, TCU, Ohio State should definitely be getting more notoriety. And I just hope, Nick, I hope that Alabama loses another game along the way, and so does Mississippi State. And we somehow, like Jeff said on our show, Jeff Hauser last week, that we somehow defy the laws of college football and we have no SEC teams in the Final Four. That would be a nice Christmas present. Well, I'll tell you what. I want you to take a listen to what Mike Mayock had to say about this whole playoff committee. But I think it's a joke, and I think it's all politics, and I feel horribly for the kids at TCU or Baylor or Marshall or whatever that don't get in. Yeah, I mean, when that you, sounded when you, familiar. <laughs> right, it sounded vaguely familiar. Seemed close to what you just uh, said, and I have to agree with both of you guys, and we've talked about it ad nauseum on this program, Secondary Perspective, here on Voice America Sports, that I, whether it was the BCS or this new platform of this 12-person committee, to me, I don't think they're going to get it right. When you take an Alabama and you put them over undefeated Florida State, you can say whatever you want to say. And the argument is, well, SEC football is better than that of the ACC, the Pac-12, Big Ten, and Big 12. To me, not in this case. When you look at Alabama's schedule and you look at the criteria set aside by the college playoff committee, strength of schedule. How can you tell me the strength of schedule is dictated by Alabama when you're playing Western Carolina uh, on Saturday and you have Southern Miss. Well, Nick, it's because they they operate under this opinion that – 
the SEC is the is God's gift to us through college football. It's the SEC, and then it's everybody else. You know, it almost seems like they should just have an SEC champion, and then the second place team will be you know two teams that play from any other conference. So you have an SEC champion who is like the ultimate champion in all of college football, and then you have a secondary and maybe a tertiary winner after that. Well, you know, that, that, that's the question. And, I, and I've asked uh, several individuals in the business that, 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 that particular question. If we're going to continue to say that the SEC is hands down the best conference and some say that it's a step down from NFL talent, why even play college football? Why even have other conferences? Why even suit it exactly. up on Saturday if you're going to continue to say, well, with the strength of schedule, the SEC is better than anyone else? To me, when you look at how the things are unfolding. You jump Alabama to number one. And, and I said this last week on the program. I can see if Florida State were to lose against Miami and Alabama were to beat Mississippi State, that Alabama would jump to number one. And that happened. Florida State didn't lose. But, but and they, they didn't even have to, which is didn't have the to. funny part. And, and yeah, that, that, that is the funny part. But you have uh, so many individuals in that southern region that are drunken with and fascination with the fascination with the SEC, that they believe that this team in Alabama is better than all the other teams and, uh, you know, other three teams, well, I would say. But to me, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, I heard someone on both CBS and the Four Letter Network talk about and try to justify why Alabama should be number one. Okay, well, that, that, was your, that was your first mistake, Nick, was, you know, for some reason, getting <laughs> into the four-letter network. You know how I feel about that. But really quick, uh, talking about these rankings, if you look at the AP Top 25, which most people consider is the most reputable source uh, for college football rankings, Nick, Florida State is number one with 43 votes. Alabama is number two with only 16 votes. And then uh, Oregon, three, and they have one vote. And those are the first place votes. So I don't understand how something like the AP Top 25 that's been around forever that is consider, considered extremely reputable, and it's kind of like falling by the wayside. Like the college football playoff rankings, this committee, they're looking at the AP Top 25, and they're like, okay, yeah, like we understand where you're coming from, and that's all well and good, but we're going to go ahead and keep Alabama number one because they're in the SEC. You know, Oregon has a little more notoriety than Florida State. You know, their strength of schedule may be a little bit better. But then the, the whole thing is kind of a joke, Nick. If you look down at the bottom of the top 25 in these college football rankings, mm-hmm. they have Minnesota, Louisville, Clemson, Oklahoma, USC, and Utah, and Auburn. All in their top 25. I mean, I think uh, Auburn is the highest of all of them at 14, and then they spread out. But to have that many teams with three losses, when you have a team on the other hand where Duke is not in their rankings, even though right. Duke is a two-loss team. Colorado State is a 9-1 and football team. The AP Top 25 has them at number 22, Nick. They are not even in the college football rankings discussion. Marshall is ranked number 18 by the AP Top 25. They're not in the top 25 for the college football playoff rankings. Well, you know what, and I want to touch on something, too, talking about Florida State. I have the schedule in front of me. And with the committee, and we're talking about the strength of schedule, Florida State starts off with Oklahoma State at the beginning of the season. Then they play Clemson, that was ranked 22. Then they have Notre Dame and Louisville. Then they played a tough game against Miami. So when you look at the strength of schedule, you look at the fact that, yes, they're in the ACC. With Duke being on the upswing, that's two years in a row 
David Cutcliffe team, I call them the fighting Cutcliffes, that six wins, you know, uh, com- no, I don't want to say combined, but they got to that six-win mark for two years in a row, especially the first part when uh, Sean Renfrey was under, under center. They were not that great. That says a lot for uh, the ACC. And, and I know I, I'm homegrown. I grew up in Miami, and I grew up hating Florida State Seminole, but I knew how important it was not just for the ACC, but college football as a whole for Florida State to still be in the picture because I still believe that this team, even though they are finding a way to win, and I think that's important, they, they're winning tight games. They're not a first-half team. They come back and they rally in the second half. And I think that's, that's something you have to really look at when you look at the four teams in the playoffs. So there's no way that anyone can justify putting Alabama in front of Florida State. I don't get no. it. No, you're absolutely right. And you know what? I, I know it's it's uh, going to be a heated discussion, and we have to wait the last couple of weeks, see how all the seasons, all of the uh, all of the title games play out. But you know what? And, and I hate to predict this. I honestly think that Florida State is going to lose to Florida in that last regular season game. And with that one loss, I think it'll be enough just for whatever reason, Nick. They just don't want Florida State around. I don't know if it's because they they defied the logic of the SEC last year where, you know, it was either going to be Alabama or Auburn in that national championship game against Florida State. And they kind of begrudgingly put Florida State in last year because they were undefeated ended up beating Auburn and they just kind of shattered everybody's expectations and their their opinions of the SEC. So now if Florida State has that one loss and it might come at the hands of Florida in that last game, I could honestly see Florida State dropping out of this top 4 because they were they're certainly going to have a one loss Mississippi State team and a one loss Alabama team obviously over Florida State. And then you look at a TCU, Ohio State, or Baylor, and they're definitely going to put one of those teams over a one-loss Florida State team. And I think that's why Florida State fans were so upset, Nick, because if they're number one and they lose a game, it's much there's a much less of a chance for them to drop from number one to number five or lower because of one loss. But now if they have them at number three and they lose to Florida the last game of the season – then it's not as much of a stretch to put them, you know, on the outside looking in. And maybe that's their plan all along, Nick. They're like, all right, well, we have to keep them in here. We think that they that they deserve to be the number one team. But then if they lose at the end of the season, we can justify keeping them out and bringing a school like Ohio State or TCU, a bigger named school. Well, you know what? There it is. And we're going to see if we can get uh, Ryan McNeil, a longtime NFL vet in San Diego Chargers, Denver Bronco and Detroit Lion on the line. And also, we're going to hear from John Johnny Hart from ESPNDenver.com talking about the Denver Broncos and the state of that franchise later on in the program. But for right now, we have a caller out of New York. Al, thank you for joining the program. What do you have to say? Hey, Nick. How's it going out there? It's going well. How you doing out there in that cold New York City? I got to tell you, it's not as cold as it was yesterday. Uh, it was really, really, really bad with that wind. But today's not bad at all. Well, speaking of New York, uh, you have two teams up there, New York Giants and New York Jets, but give me your secondary perspective and why you called. Oh, well, you know how I feel about those boys playing in Jersey. That's first and foremost. Uh, but it is definitely uh, not looking good. I got to tell you, not looking good for either team. I'm, I'm actually focusing now on hockey. <laughs> you know hockey. what I mean? Hockey. That's, that's two hockey teams up there. Uh, New Jersey Devils, and I guess, uh, what's the other team, uh, Mario? Where's that? 
uh, uh, New York Islanders, I believe. Uh, New York oh, Islanders. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm not a big hockey guy, so I'm sorry. I'm the wrong person to ask about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a big hockey person, too. Uh, but w- w- what do you want to uh, talk to us about, Al? What do you got for us? Well, I just wanted to check up on you and see how things were going out there and uh, give you a little bit of a report as what's transpiring out here in the little bitter cold that it's not that cold, but that was pretty much it. Just wanted to check in with you and say hello, my man. Well, Al, I appreciate it, man. And uh, feel free to call and comment uh, uh, anytime. And, and, and it's funny that you bring it up New York. When you look at the Jets and, you know, a, 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 I think it was about two weeks ago that they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I think was great for Rex Ryan and the Jets. I don't think it's going to be enough to save his job because I think uh, Isaac was trying to push him out the door. And I think this might be the, the straw that broke the camel's back. But then the other team, the New York Giants, every time it seemed like the Jets are having a down season, the Giants find a way to stump on the little brother, but they're having issues of their own. Uh, you know, Eli Manning struggled early on in the season trying to learn Ben McAdoo's offense, and, and he's not Aaron Rodgers. I know you figure as though you can go get the offensive coordinator from the Green Bay Packers, and hopefully the Giants will be able to duplicate that. You know, Cruz is out with his knee injury, but they still have some great players in Odell Beckham. But the problem is the guy under center. Uh, I know he had, he's been paid a lot of money. He has the last name of Manning, and he's been to two Super Bowls, had two Super Bowl rings. But Eli Manning has struggled. I mean, several, he has several seasons where he's thrown for double-digit interceptions. And to me, this year is showing very signs of that. They lose the game at home against San Francisco 49ers. And, and, I, and once again, we could possibly see two head coaches in the New York City area out of jobs at Rex Ryan and Tom Coughlin. But once again, Al, thank you for joining the program. Uh, uh, Mario. Hey, Nick. Thank you. Uh, uh, Mario, we're going to get into the Denver Broncos because uh, for, for me, I'm a little frustrated. As a former Broncos to have witnessed what I, I, I saw this past Sunday against the St. Louis Rams, it, it was a game that everyone expected the Broncos to go in and win. And maybe that was the issue. Maybe the, the players were buying too much into the hype that they didn't prepare the way they needed to prepare uh, for that game. We have one minute before the break, so I'll get your quick thoughts, and then we'll jump back in it after the break about what transpired in St. Louis. You know, really quick, Nick, I said it on this show, and I said it on my show uh, right here in Denver. This St. Louis game was nothing to scoff at. They had beaten the Seahawks earlier that year. They had beaten the 49ers. And their record doesn't really indicate what a good team they are. Sean Hill is a journeyman, but, you know, he can sling it around. The Broncos didn't have any film on him. They didn't have an answer for him. I thought it was very clear. You know, and you give up one big play, that one touchdown to Kenny Bray kind of changes the complexion of the game. Julius Thomas gets hurt. Emmanuel Sanders gets hurt. Uh, Bubba Caldwell, the backup, gets uh, gets dinged up a little bit. They only run the ball nine times. I mean, if you're running the ball nine times with your running back, Nick, I don't know how you expect to win. I don't care who your quarterback is. A uh, lot of strange play call, a lot of weird things going on in the uh, in the offensive schemes in Denver. And I know you of all people, uh, because some of your comments, some of your tweets made it onto the Mile High Report right here in Denver. Uh, we're going to get back to that on the other side of the uh, on the other side of the break. But yeah, a lot of weird things, man. Well, like you said, on the other side of the break, we'll talk about the Denver Broncos, a little bit of NBA action, and hear the comments of Kobe Bryant and how he helped get the Lakers over the Houston Rockets on the road. And John Johnny Hart would join us from ESPNDenver.com to talk about the Denver Broncos and give us a little more insight on what's happening with this uh, franchise. You're listening to Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective. <laughs> 
internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. No, you cannot disguise and tell me sweet little lies. That's from a, a band I love that's true and dear to my heart, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, and joining us on the program today, Johnny Hart. You can find him on Johnny Hart 7 on Twitter. Re- reporter and producer for ESPN Denver, 102.3 and 105, 105.5 ESPN. Johnny, thank you for joining us. Hey, uh, I gotta, I gotta say, I'm also a Fleetwood Mac fan, so uh, thanks for bringing me on with that. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I, I love uh, sidebar here. A little fun fact about me: it's not Friday, but I'm giving you a fun fact. I, I love Stevie Nicks. I love everything about uh, Stevie Nicks. So it's great to uh, hear that you are a fan of Fleetwood Mac a- as well, uh, Johnny. When I look at this game this past weekend against uh, from the Denver Broncos against the St. Louis Rams, something just seemed familiar to me 
and know that, you know, the Rams were not the Seattle Seahawks. But it took me back to that Super Bowl. The Broncos offense seemed in total disarray. When, when the camera would pan to the sidelines and you look at Peyton Manning, it's just kind of this very stoic look on his face. From someone who's really close to this franchise, what are you seeing right now that's happening with this Denver Broncos team? Well, you know, all these, all these teams that you know, eventually go on to the playoffs have these lulls. I'm not terribly concerned. Um, I know they aren't really either. I know the, the work of the day yesterday down at Dove Valley was a sense of urgency, but there's not a sense of panic there. Um, I think you kind of had a perfect storm with the St. Louis Rams last week. You have an offensive line who has not really been together for very long. It's since they uh, moved Lewis Vasquez out to right tackle. It's only been a couple of weeks that that unit's been able to gel. Plus, you have a St. Louis defensive line that's you know really cranked it up in the last couple of weeks. You know, a veteran um, in Austin Davis that, um, or excuse me, Sean Hill that really kind of didn't make any mistakes. They kept him on the field through those you know third and longs the whole day. I, you know, I the passing game didn't really work. Uh, you know, it, you can't. You can't really expect uh, you know the running game to do very well if you only have nine rushes and if the passing game isn't working, throwing 50, 50 passes isn't really gonna do any help either. So I think it was just kind of a perfect storm. I think everybody needs to, in the immortal words of Aaron Rodgers, relax a little bit. Now I know you say you're saying relax, but you just mentioned a couple of, uh, of issues. The offensive line has seemed to be in total dismay. From the beginning of the season, Adam Gates is trying to do a patchwork job to put guys in the right position to protect their franchise quarterback and Peyton Manning. But you talk about the running game. Uh, you know, it, it still it was trying to make some strides. Ronnie Hillman came in and he was sensational against the San Diego Chargers, you know, who they were deficient on defense as well. But Monty Ball returns from a growing injury. Then he goes out with the injury. Emmanuel Sanders goes out with a concussion. Julius Thomas, an ankle injury. Are we starting to see the Denver Broncos feel the effects of what other teams that they've won, they've beaten early in the season, have started to feel themselves? We're down, we're deficient, and we're easy victims for other teams to come and beat us. Yeah, and you know, like uh, the they talked about the injury bug a little bit yesterday. Um, it's about that time of the season when you know you get those dings and and. It, guys like Julius Thomas, you know, they had one one tight end in that game after Julius Thomas left. They had Jacob Tammy because, you know, Virgil Green had that uh, calf injury. He's, you know, still limited in, in practice uh, yesterday. So I, I really I think the injuries kind of came all at once and all at the wrong time. Um, but, you know, that kind of happens to every team. Well, well to tonight, you know, there, there's a Thursday night game. It's Kansas City at Oakland on a short week for Kansas City, who beat uh, what I thought was going to be another a Super Bowl run for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, both the Broncos and the Kansas City Chiefs are both 7-3. and three. And when you look at the playoff picture, of course, they lose to New England. That game is going to come back to haunt them. Do they have enough left in the tank to make a push, not only just to win a division, but try to reclaim some of that 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 kind of bravado they had early on in the season. Well, 
you I think you put it you nailed it right on uh the hammer right on the nail right there. It's I when I looked at the at the beginning of the season at this schedule, you see a uh, first half that was um a, a lot of home games home home heavy first half and then this stretch they have three games in a row uh, on the road. They have six of their last nine, six games in eight games. Um, on the road, and I asked Jacob Tammy this on on Monday. He's never had. He he said in his whole career he's never had a stretch like that. I and I can't imagine it's. Um, you could probably speak to this better. Um, the difference between playing at home and you know having to take a road trip just at least mentally has to wear down on this team a little bit. Plus, you play San Diego twice. You play Kansas City again on the road. You play Cincinnati. You play, you know, a team in Buffalo that's not, you know, completely terrible as they have been in the past. And you have Miami this weekend who very well could have, at the beginning of the year, won the AFC East. Now, I don't think that'll happen again, but they could still make the wild card. This last half of the season is brutal for the Denver Broncos, and it'll really show how mentally tough this team is how they finished this last half of the season this stretch well you know it's been a long time since Peyton Manning threw for more and threw more interceptions than he threw uh touchdowns and and I know and you look at Peyton Manning's career it's been a long time again since he's lost back-to-back games with, with Miami coming in and you know we know the issues that they have on offense with Ryan Tannehill but you're talking about a Miami defense that's that's playing well. I mean, they have you know Detroit has a Megatron, but Miami has Optimus Grimes. And when you look at the fact of what Miami's doing on defense, could we possibly witness two losses in a row for the Denver Broncos of Peyton Manning? Well, and you're exactly right. The the Miami defense is ranked second in the league in defensive in passing and. I, you have a guy like Cameron Wake, who's on their defensive line, who could disrupt the Broncos' new offensive line. Uh, you know, I really don't see the Broncos losing this weekend. I think it'll be hard for Miami to come all the way across the country um, and play in not so hospitable, hospitable environment in Denver. You know, it's going to be cold. Um, this weekend, and Denver very rarely loses at home. But I think it could be a lot closer than people are expecting. Now, does that mean that this is a sign of things to come for the Denver Broncos? I don't believe so. Um, they're a little banged up right now, so even a loss I don't think would be indicative of how the Broncos' season will play out the rest of the season. But, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a lot closer than people expect. Well, I, I know I actually uh, I picked the Broncos last week uh, in a 35-17 win over the Rams, and that just goes to show you week to week things change, and just because someone's record may be three and six, that's not how the team is thinking. And I think teams when they are three and six, when they there's no possibility for them to even get into the playoffs, that's when the teams are dangerous. And this Miami team, I think you just talked about their defense. Uh, they're a gritty bunch of guys that like to get after you, and Peyton Manning could expect the Miami Dolphins to try to get after him, but they are dangerous too because they're trying to maintain their position and hopefully get 
one of those wild card uh, positions. Uh, Johnny, thank you for, for joining the program. That's Johnny Hart from ESPN Denver. You can find him on Twitter at Johnny Hart 7 a Reddit reporter and producer for ESPN on 102.3 and 105.5. Hardworking guy on two stations. Thank you, Johnny, for doing, joining the program. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, man. And anytime, give me a call. All right, thank you. Uh, let's see uh, if, if, if we can search and find. I know as well where is Waldo, but uh, uh, Mario, uh, that, that was some good stuff by Johnny. And when I look at the game against uh, going back and reflecting on the game against the, uh, the Rams, Greg Weaves did a great job. And one of the points that I talked about in, in former uh, Bronco and Super Bowl winning wide receiver, Mark Jackson said the same thing on Twitter. You had Greg Williams who, who decided he was going to manufacture and create some matchups on defense to create issues for that makeshift offensive line that Adam Gase had put together. But we didn't see that same duplication by Jack Del Rio. Why was he not trying to manufacture some kind of pass rush? Because we know the bookends that is, that, that, that is DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller, they excel when the Broncos are playing ahead, but you know they were never playing ahead in that game, and they just kind of disappeared. So I'll, I'll get your take on what, what you saw. Well, let me ask you this, Nick. What exactly is John Fox's role on this team? I mean, we know that Jack Del Rio is in charge of the defense. We know that Adam Gase is in charge of the offensive play calling, and if it's not Adam Gase, it's Peyton Manning. So, I mean, they have a special teams coach. They have a coach for pretty much everything. What exactly is John Fox doing, Nick? I mean, is he just a figurehead? Do the plays have to go through him, and he has to, he has to confirm them? Or I, I'm, that's, that's the thing. Like, everybody here in Denver wants to blame John Fox, and I know any time that your team – is struggling. You don't want to blame the players. You don't want to blame the individuals. You don't want to blame anybody but the head coach. That's just kind of how, that's the uh, scapegoat that people usually lean towards blaming. So, I mean, I, I disagreed with a lot of the play call, with a lot of the clock management, which I think is one of the things that John Fox is in charge of. And he's shown a pretty decent track record of being terrible with, uh, with clock management. But, I mean, I, I don't get whose decision it was to change around the offensive line, Nick, whether it was Adam Gase or John Fox, I don't agree with it. I think moving Luis Vasquez to right tackle was one of the worst things they could have done because this is a guy who is an all-pro guard. He did not give up a sack the entire year last year playing guard. And this isn't Madden, Nick. You can't just switch a guy from guard to right tackle and assume everything is going to be fine because his rating is going to be higher a tackle than a guard. I mean, this is real life, and it is very difficult. They're two very different positions, different footwork, different signals, different everything. So to have an all-pro guy, you know, make the sacrifice from going guard to right tackle, it's just shady to me. And then you take a guy like Orlando Franklin, and it's the same kind of deal. You're moving him from tackle to guard? It's just it's really bizarre to me, Nick. Why not put Franklin back at right tackle where he had played his entire professional career, move back his back into the guard where he has played most of the entirety of his NFL career, figure out the center position, figure out the other guard position, and go from there. But don't keep moving this around. You need a little bit of continuity. I know they want to make sure this is all worked out before the playoffs, Nick, but if this team finishes 10-6 and six or 11-5, and five, they're going to have to go on the road to Foxborough where they will not win in January. 
Well, I'll tell you this. When you mentioned about moving Orlando Franklin, I mean, when he was drafted out of the University of Miami, I thought he was better suited to move inside. And I think that's where his versatility, you know, is. That's why they drafted him, a guy who can play both, you know, guard and tackle. He doesn't really have the feet to play the tackle position. He has the long arms. And when you have maybe a guy like Ryan Clady next to you in the center, that helps you out being able to pick up the reads. But they had to do something. It was obvious that Chris Clark and Paul Cornick were not the answer. So I think it's better to try to move pieces around, try to figure out the chemistry and build that continuity before you make your late playoff push. So it's better to take those bumps now than to take them, take them later in the season when the games really count and you're trying to position yourself to make another Super Bowl run. But I wish, and I do agree with you on this part, this is something they should have realized earlier in training camp when they had a chance to evaluate these, these players. When the Broncos signed Luis Vasquez, you know, a lot of the fans, they didn't really care. They're like, oh, it's an offensive lineman. We got him from San Diego. I guess he's pretty good, whatever. But, you know, the, the true football, you know, intellectuals, the diehards, uh, the people that understand the game, and in my opinion, when that happened, that was their best free agent signing in the last few years. And they didn't do anything like that this past offseason. You know, I know they went out and got Emmanuel Sanders, which, was, which has been awesome. You know, they got Aqib Tlaib, which I disagree with, but that's really neither here nor there. T.J. Ward, DeMarcus Ware, all the, all the notoriety. But, Nick, they knew that offensive line was going to be a problem. They didn't address it. Manny Ramirez, who they moved from guard to center and back to guard, he is a detriment to this team. But you can't really tell because he's an offensive lineman. So it kind of falls by the wayside. So, you know, our running game isn't working, then we're going to blame the running back. If the passing game isn't working, we're going to blame Peyton Manning and the wide receivers. There's nothing that he can do about getting a pass rush up the middle on a four-man front on the defense. That is all the offensive line, and the problem comes from the interior. Your offensive line is only as strong as your weakest link. And when your weak link is Manny Ramirez, then it's pretty damn weak. Well, well, Mario, I'm going to play a little clip. Here's a little soundbite from... RG3 and the Washington Redskins because, they, like I said, they're dealing with some major issues. I'll, I'll let you hear it in his own words. Play well if their guys don't play well. They don't. We need everybody. I need every one of those guys in that locker room. And I know they're looking at me saying the same thing. You can't sit, you know, sit in your locker or be out on the field and say, well, it's not my fault. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a baller. I'm an all-pro. I'm a, uh, you know, a Pro Bowl player. Because right now we have no Pro Bowl players. We don't. We're not playing that way. I'm not playing that way. The line's not playing that way. Our receivers aren't playing that way. The backs aren't playing that way. Our defense isn't playing that way. Our special teams isn't playing that way. And we all know that. First of all, Robert needs to understand he needs to worry about himself, number one, and not everybody else. It's his job to worry about his position, his footwork, his fundamentals, his reads, his progressions, his job at the quarterback position. It's my job to worry about everybody else. And, yes, everybody else needs to improve. There's no question about it. We'll we'll dig into that and more after the break. You listen to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. I just think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. 
Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Before we went to the break, we were listening to what RG3 had to say about his performance or his team's performance, or like they're of a performance. And then we heard Jay Gruden talk about his quarterback. And basically... What you heard was RG say, what well, it wasn't, it's not just me. This is a team game. We all need to get involved. But Jay Gruden said, wait a minute, RG3, stop calling out your teammates. Worry about you. Work on your footwork. You know, there were some error throws. You're not on the top of your game right now. And RG3, who in, I believe it's May, has a $9 or $18 million, uh, I guess, roster bonus or something in his contract that either the Washington Redskins could give to him or may not give to him, but I think right now what was being set up for, for RG3 may be to move on and Jay Gruden find himself another quarterback. So I'll let you comment on that really quickly. Sorry, I couldn't really hear, Nick. You're breaking out. I said I'll let you comment on that really quickly, the fact of what RG3 had to say about himself, the Washington Redskins, in comparison to the win losses and the fact that it's not just him. They don't okay. have pro, no, pro Honestly, players. Nick, I, I think this whole situation with RG3 is a joke. I didn't think that they should have brought him back to play anyway. I mean, you want to talk about a one-hit wonder. He was the NFL Rookie of the Year's rookie season. We all know what happened last year. He got hurt. People called it a sophomore slump. So this was supposed to be his make-or-break year. Gets hurt again. Uh, can't stay healthy. Can't seem to you know shut his mouth and keep his mouth closed. You know, maybe someone should just put a Subway sandwich in it, man, because it seems like he cares more about his advertisements and his TV time than he does about this team. And, and I, I don't know what it is about him, Nick. I really liked him as a rookie, and I, I just can't seem to stand him anymore because he refuses to, to t- he refuses to take responsibility for his actions. So, you know, as long as Jay Gruden is here with his system, a system that does not fit RG3, as long as those two are together – uh, bad things are going to happen with this organization. And we saw that against the lowly Tampa Bay Buccaneers and how Washington, with a very good running back in Alfred Morris, with you know an extremely good 
uh, duo of wide receivers, they were only able to put up seven points. So something needs to change, and it needs to change quick. Well, we all know that Marshawn Lynch had his issues with the Seattle Seahawks holding out for eight days out of training camps in hopes of recovering or trying to get a new contract. That didn't happen. But Beast Mode a couple of weeks ago rushed for four touchdowns. And if you're a fantasy fan, you better put him on your roster if you don't have him already. But in the game at Kansas City, he decided not to go to the locker room and be with the team. And this is what Pete Carroll had to say about that situation. Marshawn is a very private person, and we've all learned that, and we've, we've respected that about him for years. I've respected the heck about out of that when we got to the Super Bowl last year and everybody was clamoring and all that. Uh, he is, he's a very unique, special person, and, and uh, he's given us everything he's got, and we're working through it, and, and uh, that, that's where that is right now. This football team is determined to do well, and we still have a lot out there. This is a tremendous finish opportunity, and Marshawn, hopefully, if he can get back again this week, he'll be right in the middle of it with us. I mean, when you, what do you get from that, that? From what Pete Carroll is saying? Are the Seattle Seahawks still satisfied with Marshawn's production, or will they move, look to move him in 2015? You know, I, I thought Pete Carroll did the right thing, Nick. It's pretty clear that he and Marshawn don't see eye to eye. Marshawn came out and basically said, look, the Seahawks like to talk. I do not. And I think that's well documented. Everybody in that legion of boom, you know, it should be legion of another B word, the way that they've acted this year. But they like to talk a lot, Nick. That's kind of their stick. You know, Richard Sherman can't make a play without you hearing about it because, you know, if you don't see it, then he's going to be damn sure to tell you. And it just doesn't seem like that's Marshawn's style. That's not how he was at Cal. It's not how he was with Buffalo. It's not how he's ever been here in the NFL. So it's pretty obvious that he doesn't want to be in Seattle. He doesn't really like the climate there. I feel like he's close with uh, Russell Wilson and doesn't like the way that he was treated when, you know, other players are saying he wasn't black enough. I don't know who, you know, comes up with the measuring stick for something like that. But it's just pretty clear that Marshawn's days in Seattle are over, but he is a professional. You know, he's still working for a big contract, so he's going to go out there and run his butt off week in and week out. But we're not going to see him in a Seattle Seahawks uniform next year. That's a guarantee. Well, in MLB news, this is the offseason, and guys are moving around in trades and being signed. But I think the biggest one was John Carlo from the Florida Marlins, 13 years $325 million deal. That is $69,000 a day. And when he was asked by a reporter at the press conference whether he thought his contract was embarrassing, this, this is what he had to say. <laughs> embarrassing to me? Uh, <laughs> nah, not if this isn't like uh, a lottery ticket and, and peace out. All right, now... Uh, people are thinking it like that. No, you win the lottery, you quit your job, and you, you go live wherever you want to live, and, and you call it a day. Now, this is the start of new work and a new job um, for the city. Mario, if you're getting paid or someone wants to pay you $325 million over 13 years, would that sound embarrassing to you? Are you kidding me? <laughs> of course not. I would be extremely proud. You know what, Nick? He's not getting that kind of money if he doesn't deserve it. And if you look at Giancarlo Stanton, he has been really a huge bright spot for a, an aggressively mediocre Miami Marlins team. Uh, but it shows me that this team wants to start taking it seriously. There's a no-trade clause. He can't opt out for six years. So obviously they want him there. 
And if anybody is going to think to criticize Giancarlo Stanton, then they need to get off of their moral high horse because that, to me, is just a joke. You're going to be upset at a guy for accepting a 13-year, $325 million contract as if there's anybody on this planet, if they were faced with the same kind of contract, the same kind of deal, like they would say no. Uh, so, no, it's not embarrassing in the least bit, Nick. He earned this money. You look at his stats, they speak for himself. The kid has power. You know, he can hit for average. He can hit for power if he needs to. He gets on base. He's a decent fielder for being, you know, a power-hitting outfielder. And I think the Miami Marlins did the smart thing. The only thing now is they have to figure out uh, how they're going to pay for the rest of their team. But that's their job. I, I'm not embarrassed at all. I'm proud that John Carlos Stanley's an upstanding kid. Uh, and you know, I wish him the best. I hope that he fulfills his contract. But it should be noted that uh, you're probably going to be in your 50s by the time this contract's up. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm not mad at John Carlos uh, Stanton, uh agent for brokering this deal. But if, if you're going to be mad, you'd be mad with the Florida Marlins because especially exactly. if they don't start posting numbers because they're the team in the upper management that decide to pay him that money. And I don't know any player, any person, anywhere, if someone is looking to give you a lucrative deal like that, that you're actually going to turn it down. Uh, in NBA action last night, the Lakers, another victory for, for the team. They go down to Houston, no Dwight Howard, large minutes, for Kobe Bryant, but I would say I'm not going to say, well, now they, they've turned the corner. Things are now on the upswing for the Los Angeles Lakers. I think it was great for them to win. Uh, Nick Young got into the mix, and if they're going to win games in the West, it's going to have to be a total team effort, but here's a, a little soundbite from uh, Kobe Bryant uh, and LeBron James on last night's game. It's, uh, you know, I, won't, I wouldn't view myself being a competitive person if when uh, you know, when, when things are tough and you don't show up to compete, I mean, that's when you show up to compete. You know, that's when you step up to the plate. And, uh, you know, we appreciate the struggle that we're in right now. We find we find the beauty in it. Final sequence, they missed a free throw. And uh, I looked about the, looked about the score uh, in about eight seconds. And uh, I went behind my back and just, you know, just lost it. You know, and went off TD's foot. And, you know, just turned over that you can't have at that point. It's just how the ball rolls sometimes, man. I, not, uh, not too upset about it. LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers faced off against the San Antonio Spurs. I think maybe a f- familiar scene for some Miami Heat fans. 35 seconds left in the game. LeBron James with two late turnovers to give the Spurs a win. And I ask you, this loss or this win is bigger for the Spurs or the Cavs moving forward? Yeah, it's hard to say, but... Probably the Cavs. I mean, keep in mind, the Cavs lost a couple nights previous to the lowly Denver Nuggets, and I can say that because I've seen them firsthand in Cleveland. And the Nuggets are starting to play better basketball, but really there's no excuse for this Cavs team to lose. And those are the kind of games that the Cavs need to win. And you know what? I said last week or, you know, even a couple weeks ago, Nick, that they're going to be growing pains with this team. But it's getting to that point of the season where you better start ironing that stuff out if you want to be taken seriously as a contender. And you know what? You have LeBron James. You have Kevin Love. You have Kyrie Irving. But then what do you have? There is such an immense drop-off in talent. I mean, who's the fourth-best player on this team? Nick, Sean Marion, Dion Waiters, Anderson Verizal. These are a bunch of no-name guys who are role players, but they're not even playing their role that well. So 
I mean, it's going to be a long season for the Cavs, and the way that they've been playing, unless we see you know, a 180-degree turn, I don't think they're going to be competing for the, uh, the title anytime soon. Well, I know LeBron James decided to opt out of his contract in Miami to go back home to Cleveland, but to me, once again, there's some familiarity here when you look at Cleveland. They have a big three. They can't play any defense, and just like you just said, they don't have any bench players. So my thing is, is LeBron not still living in Miami, but he's in Cleveland because he's dealing with the same situation? So that that, I say LeBron James might have moved and taken his talents back to Cleveland, but he's in the same predicament that he was in in Miami. They, there's a big three with himself, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love, but they can't play defense. They have a lot of sharpshooters, but no depth. To me, he left Miami but he's still in Miami type of mentality because he's dealing with the same issues. Yeah, you're exactly right. And let's not forget, Nick, this is a guy who was the most dominant athlete in all of sports, not just basketball, but in all of sports, because, you know, he was an athletic specimen. He's a physical specimen. There's nobody that was built the way that he was built and then had the skill set that he had. And this is a guy that lost 30 pounds in the offseason, and it's not like he had any fat on him in the first place, Nick. So what he lost was muscle. What he lost was strength. You know, and they came out, and there was a report, and it kind of fell by the wayside uh, for whatever reason. But you can tell he's a lot skinnier. He just looks a little bit lethargic. He doesn't have the power that he had to take it to the rim last year. He's not as good a rebounder as he was last year. So I don't know how much that has to do with it, Nick, but we're seeing a little bit of a different LeBron James player. You know, he's not able to get away with some of the stuff he could when he was 30 pounds bigger and 30 pounds stronger. Well, I I don't know what's going to happen with this team. It's obvious that they're going to be one of the top teams in the East. Will they have enough in the the tank to defeat any team in the West? Probably not. But before uh, we get out here, I'll be remiss if I did not mention this. A great teammate of mine, an even better guy off the field, retired Tuesday uh, as a Denver Bronco, and that is of Champ Bailey. Here's what Champ Bailey had to say in his press conference. The leaders in front of me, the Dow Greens, the Bruce Smith, uh, John Lynch, Brian Dawkins, Marco Coleman, uh, Nick Ferguson. I mean, these are guys I looked up to because they showed me how to get it done. Even though I thought I was doing it right, I never shot away from new information. And these guys definitely gave it to me. Very, very informational uh press conference from Champ Bailey. As a player, you never think about that day when you have to call it quits, but at some point, we all have to lace them up and put them back on the shelf. Uh, great guy. Uh, Mario, some parting comments about Champ Bailey's career. I mean, what else can you say? He's one of the best to ever do it. It's going to be five short years before he's uh, out there in Canton. And my favorite part about that whole speech is when he mentioned my favorite player and my hero and the guy that I look up to the most Nick Ferguson, I mean, that really tugged in my heartstrings. And as a guy that had been around the organization for as long as Champ had, obviously it was very difficult to see him get cut at the beginning of this year, but you had to remind yourself that the NFL at the end of the day is a business. It was a business decision. Obviously it was nothing personal. And, you know, I just hope and pray that 
we find someone along those lines that, you know, not just from a skill set, but that represents the team in such a positive manner. You know, you're talking about a guy who made more Pro Bowls than any corner in history, but then never was mentioned, you know, as, as a detriment off the field, a guy that never got in trouble, you know, never abused marijuana, never did this, never did that. You know, he's just a, a good, clean-cut guy uh, who represented our franchise with the utmost respect. And, I mean, it's going to be sad not seeing him out there, but, you know, it was an absolute pleasure getting to watch him for as long as we did. And it was an absolute pleasure for me to play alongside of him. I'm going to do my own tribute to him in my own way on my YouTube channel at Nick Ferguson uh, the Nick Ferg Show. Uh, also, don't forget to follow and give me comments and my co-host, Mario Batanzi, at Mile High Mario. I'm Nick Ferguson. You can find me at Nick Ferguson underscore 25. I'd like to thank Johnny Hart from ESPN, Denver.com, for joining the program. And with that, have a safe and happy weekend and have a happy holiday as well. That's Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America, and we're gone. Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.